This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You just talked about the metaverse and what that's going to look like. And, and I've quite often, uh, too much for some of you, talked about how I feel about social media, specifically Facebook and uh, how destructive I think it is. Uh, and I've often said, to me, one of the ways to get rid of some of this is to get rid of the anonymity factor, right? Because we all know, I mean, if you're on Twitter for any length of time, you know there's somebody with the little egg that Twitter gives everybody, and, you know, some, you know, Bob1367592, clearly a made-up, you know, account. And, and it seems to me that gives people license to go out and say whatever they want, Things they would never say if you were sitting down having a beer with somebody, right? It's just that anonymity means no accountability. But there's some researchers who took a closer look at this. And maybe, just maybe, I'm wrong. Kind of, sort of, it sounds like. Anonymity can be good, it can be bad, there's different levels. Let's get into it. We're going to chat with Alfred Moore, who's a lecturer in political theory at the University of York. Alfred, thanks for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Hey, thank you very much for having me. I think there is a there's a pretty broad consensus out there. A lot of people think, at least, that that anonymity is a big part of the problem with social media, right? I mean, I'm not the only one. No, no. Uh, a lot of people do think that. And, and frankly, we did too. I mean, part of our motivation with this research project was because we... we we wanted to take a look. Like, we thought that anonymity probably was bad. You know, we thought we had a similar kind of hunch. Yeah. But we also thought that nobody really examined it in quite the way that we, you know, that we wanted to. So that's what you set out to do. Now, let's define the parameters here. How did you go about doing this? What did you look at? So what we looked at was um, a date. We built a data set of about 45 million comments, like comments that were posted on news articles on the Huffington Post over nearly a two-year period, so January 2013 to February 2015. And this period, so it's quite a while ago, okay, and the academic publication cycle takes a very, very, very long time. (laughs) But um, what was interesting about this period for us is that the Huffington Post was going through a, a series of changes. Like, and they went through, they changed their commenting space in two ways that were really interesting to us. So it started out where it used to be sort of a free-for-all, right, yeah. where anybody could just come and create a persona, create a, you know, create a username, say what they wanted. And then if moderators, you know, if it was abusive or if someone wanted to close them down, they could just come back again with a different sure. one, recreate very disposable personas. So it was, a, it was what we call a kind of troll's paradise. You know, it was very easy for trolls and bots yeah. to get onto this system and, and really kind of um, make it an unpleasant environment, right? And so, for that reason, they introduced a change, right? They, they wanted to make everybody register before they got on the site. And that meant authenticating their user, authenticating their personas, sort of on the back end, as it were, by using their Facebook account. But for the, for the public face, they could still use, you know, Monkey Bubbles 456 or whatever, oh, okay. you know, whatever the name is. It doesn't have to be your real name. But that was, and so that created the first interesting change to us, right? And then 
after another period of time, they changed it again. And just, we're not quite sure why, probably for reasons of convenience and cost, they just outsourced the whole commenting package to Facebook. Hmm. So from that point, your name would pop up, and it, you know, assuming that you use your real name on Facebook, right? And most people do, yep. and, and your little avatar photo, that would pop up next to your comment. And so this isn't, like, this isn't perfect, but it sort of approximates three different sorts of environments, yeah. one of which where you have very easy and disposable kind of anonymity. The other one, the middle one, where you have a kind of stable or durable anonymity, what we call durable pseudonyms. And a third phase in which you're sort of tied in a little bit to your real name. And in this third phase, you know, it depends on your settings and that kind of stuff, as it always does with these with these uh, with these technologies. But a lot of your comments could cross post onto your Facebook. You know, so all of a sudden you weren't talking just to the people in the in the forum anymore. You may be talking to your friends. But these three phases gave us an opportunity. So basically, a natural experiment. It gave us a natural experiment to look at what happens when you change identity rules in an otherwise fairly consistently similar environment. What did you track in terms of documenting the level of toxicity, for lack of a better word, or, yeah. or you know, I mean, just the negative impacts of that anonymity? Yeah. Um, so, as you, as you can tell from the fact that we were doing 45 million, you know, yeah. taking these 45 million comments, part of our um, part of our sort of toolkit was large-scale analysis, large-scale language analysis, right? And that means on the one hand, we lose a lot of the subtlety that you get when you, you know, when you personally read all the comments and try to look at their context. But, but it did mean that we were able to do stuff at scale. So very crudely, look at, um, look at curse words, bad words, and, and you can look at the formulation, U-R-A, and then insert word. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and we, found a, we found a researcher in, in the States who had compiled a list an enormous list of, of abusive terms that we could sort of plug into this system. Um, you know, so so that was one thing that we were able to do, right? So a fairly crude, but also we think an okay kind of proxy for um, a kind of uncivil language, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't distinguish between the, you know, maybe people are doing it with a nod and a wink, this kind of thing. Obviously it doesn't do that, but it's, it's, it's a pretty crude measure, but rough and ready, civility. And the other thing that we did um, was look at the kind of sophistication, the linguistic complexity. And that means looking for words like because, looking for the sorts of conjunctions that suggest that um, there might be a bit of argument going on. Okay. The longer, more complex comments, rather than just quick abusive statements. So a, a, a comment that consists of libtard and then four exclamation points, right, would count as having a low linguistic complexity. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. But a longer thing, including a word like because, suggests that they're, they're doing more. So and, what, did, um, what did we find here? I mean, did the, as the anonymity level changed, did the course of discourse change? 
Um, in a word, yes, right, it did. So on, on both of these sorts of measures, right, our crude civility measure and on our kind of linguistic compl- yeah. what, cognitive complexity in the, in the jargon in, in the paper, um, after the first change, we saw a big improvement. And, and we should clarify that across all of these changes, as you might expect, um, the platform lost participants, right? Fewer people sure. just stayed. Okay, that, that happened. But, but we're looking like per, per user, like corrected for the number of users, you've got proportionally lower, less abusive language in, in the second phase. So the middle phase. Yeah. And then in the third phase, again, in terms of abusive language, not much more change, or if anything, a little bit worse. But most of the change happened in the first phase. Similar, uh, you know, most of the change happened after the first change, I should say. So the middle phase. Right. Same story with the cognitive complexity. That the big change was from sort of easy or disposable anonymity to having durable pseudonyms. And in that case, after the transition to Facebook, things actually got worse again. Not quite as bad as they were in the sort of Trolls Paradise phase, yeah. but distinctly worse. So on both sort of scores, it seemed like either the middle phase was the best one, like the stable anonymity, uh, stable pseudonyms was the best phase, or at least that most of the improvement had happened at that point, and there was no more, you know, nothing yeah, more, that's more to be done by, by using real names, right? Interesting. So there's that. There's a sweet spot where you don't need to have a name and a picture attached to every comment, but there needs to be some sort of tie to the real persona, even if it's not apparent, that changes the behavior. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and as we say in the say in the paper, we're, you know, we're not absolutely sure what's you know we're not absolutely sure what's going on here, yeah. right? And there's a and we have to say you know we have to put a caveat on all of this that. Social media changes very quickly. The ways that people use it change very quickly, and they're, they're quite, you know. But there is something interesting. I think there are two sorts of two sorts of things going on. One of them is, as you say, the connection. Even though it's on the sort of back end, as it were, a connection mm-hmm. to a real person that at least we think gives people a little bit of a reputational investment. Right. Right. So yeah. It means that. And, and the fact that it's harder to recreate these personas means that if you care about being on this forum and you enjoy it and you get kicked off for being abusive and it's not easy to come back or not so easy to come back, that might give you some reason to care for your reputation on that forum. So part of it is to do with that kind of accountability for your bad behavior being linked to some other, you know, being linked to your real real person. Yeah, interesting. We think. Yeah, but the other thing we think might be going on is the fact that, you know, when you have a stable persona, you're sort of accountable to your community, as it were, right? You're accountable right. to the, your fellow commenters. And you can, again, acquire a reputation yep. and you can invest in your reputation in that space, but without having to get it mixed up with who you are in other spaces and without having to look over your shoulder and think, you know, wow, I like commenting on sports here, but I really don't want my boss to see it, you know, or... Sure. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, we're all, I've been involved in online forums, you know, with certain hobbies that I'm in or whatever, and people on there get a reputation. There's no doubt. We don't know who they are. They have a username for that online form, but you associate, you know, a behavior and a reputation with that online user. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think anecdotally, we sort of pick, you know, anecdotally I've picked this up 
especially as I've given talks about this, it's, it's great. When I give talks, I often find that there's someone in the audience who is incredibly active on some very obscure sort of uh, site, but we'll talk about the community they build, right? Yeah. The community they build on that space and that it is something that they invest in. Um, and it is a persona that they kind of, you know, care for, have some, have some investment, have some stake in. Yeah. And Absolutely. so we think that there's something about that community element has, you know, um, has an ability to, to, to sort of constrain or guide the way people behave. Right? And it doesn't necessarily mean that that community will be like, a, 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 I don't know, a morally upright one. No, right? It could no. be a neo-Nazi forum, right, that could have this, this type of effect. This, if we're right about this kind of generic kind of community accountability effect. But, you know, in conjunction with other stuff, it suggests that, you know, what can kind of keep people in line in terms of their communicative behavior is their responsibility to a community and their kind of care for care for reputation within that space. Makes perfect sense. Great discussion. Alfred, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You bet. That is Alfred Moore, who is a lecturer in political theory at the University of York. Interesting discussion.